Hi, I'm Ben Lowell, and this is Truth and Life Today with Dr. John Newfeld. John, good to have you here again today. Great to be here. You know, uh, we're going to be continuing in our series, The Mysteries of the Kingdom. We're going to be looking at uh, Matthew chapter 11 and the parable of the, of the sower. Uh, give us a sense where you're going to go with that. Well, the parable of the sower is a wonderful um, teaching tool to help us to understand one of the great mysteries of the kingdom. If the kingdom of heaven has come, why isn't it being universally welcomed? And why does the response to the kingdom vary so greatly? And that's what Jesus describes for us. Thanks, John. So join us in just a moment for more of Truth in Life today. In my opinion, the, uh, the parable of the sower is a central text that tells us why some people seem to lose their faith. So I wanna talk about that very phenomenon, losing your faith. Uh, I'm gonna speak to you from Matthew chapter 13, which is a collection of seven separate parables that Jesus told about why the kingdom of heaven is as it is in the present hour. But before I do that, let me set this whole thing up. Uh, Those that fall away, are we to assume that they were Christians in the first place or that they weren't? How are we to understand that? So let me begin by telling you that of, of a story of a genuine human being. His name was uh, William Temple or Charles Templeton. And Charles Templeton, if you're a Canadian, you might know that name. Uh, Charles Templeton, if you don't know a lot about him, uh, wrote a book called Farewell to God. And it was his story of his pathway into atheism. What you might not know about Templeton is that in the 1940s, Charles Templeton joined the Billy Graham crusade and he preached a number of evangelistic crusades. And by all account, uh, people who witnessed him preaching say that he was a very effective evangelist. Some people say he was more effective than Graham himself. There were for many years afterwards, people who said, I came to Christ through the preaching of Charles Templeton. So that's the idea behind it. But somewhere in the late 1940s, Templeton started to go in a different direction than Billy Graham. He was overwhelmed by doubts, so that by 1957, he declared that he had become an agnostic, and then later, of course, he went all the way and just declared himself fully an atheist. And for those of you who know his story, you might also know that at one point in time, uh, not long before his own death, he was interviewed by Lee Strobel. And uh, Lee Strobel uh, asked Templeton to tell him about Jesus. And Templeton said it, I quote him here, he says, he was the greatest human being who ever ever lived. And then he said that Jesus was the most important thing in his life. And then he went on to stutter for some time, and then he said, I adore him. Strobel was taken aback by that response. I mean, how do you even now know what to ask next? But Templeton helped him out, and he went on to say, everything good that I know, everything decent I know, everything pure I know, I learned from Jesus. Well, at the end of the interview, Strobel reports that Templeton began to weep and simply said, I miss him, I miss him. And then having composed himself, Templeton went on to say, enough of that and wouldn't speak of it further. Well, it was not long after that that Templeton actually died having abandoned God, having abandoned Jesus as his savior and passed into eternity without an advocate before the father. Now, here's the question. If that could happen to Charles Templeton, who was known as an effective evangelist, calling people to follow Christ, I mean, here's 
My question, can that happen to you? Can that happen to me? Does it happen to family members? I mean, many of us know stories that are somewhat like that of people who seem to be white hot for the Christian faith on one moment and then seem to have fallen away at, at, at some other moment in time. And so I want to take you to a number of texts in the Bible that would indicate, as some would say, no, no, Christians can lose their faith. So for instance, Hebrews chapter 6 and Hebrews chapter 10 speak about those who have once been enlightened and then have fallen away. So one way of interpreting that is to say they were genuinely Christians and then they fell away. You don't have to interpret the text that way, but I know that there's one way of interpreting the text which leads you to that conclusion. But then at the same time, there's John 10, 27 to 28, where Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, he says, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. <laughs> well, you know, if it's eternal life, you know, what is eternal? Eternal means never-ending. So if Jesus gives someone eternal life, and it's truly eternal life, how does it end? I mean, how does a person fall away and say, I no longer have that life? If that can happen, well, then the life's not eternal. You hear what I'm saying. So typically, here's what people say about this issue. Some say, you know, if you pray the sinner's prayer and ask Jesus in your heart, even if you don't believe later on, you're still going to heaven. That's one solution to this problem. Now, I'm going to say that's not found in the Bible. I think that's a made-up answer. Uh, there's another answer that says, no, there are individuals who are truly born again, but they fall away. If that's the case, then we have to ask ourselves, what's eternal? And then there are those who say that when anyone truly believes, they become one of God's elect, or they have always been one of God's elect, and therefore, the kind of faith that they receive from God is an eternal faith. It's an enduring faith. It's a faith that never ends, not now in this life, not at death, and not in eternity. See, that's, that's what's being said. So I've said, I can't think of a parable that seems more important at this juncture than the parable of the sower. So let me read to you Matthew 13, beginning at verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat down beside the sea, and a great crowd gathered about him. So he got in a boat and sat down. And he told them many things in parables. A sower came out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on rocky ground, and they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun arose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seed fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears let him hear. So whatever else we understand that parable to say, I am sure that Jesus is saying this. The kingdom of heaven has arrived, and it is going forth in force. However, the reception to the kingdom of heaven is going to vary. There are some that are rejecting it, and there are some that are grasping a hold of it and accepting that, but there are some who seem to fall away, and how do we explain all of this stuff? And that's what this parable is meant to explain. So Jesus tells a parable of a sower. 
And he says the seed goes out and it falls on four different kinds of soil. Uh, there is the, the hardened soil in which we are led to believe that the seed doesn't really penetrate. So birds just come and pick it off. There's nothing going to happen. There's no harvest there. And then the second thing that he says is that some falls on rocky soil so that it begins to grow. But because of the Palestinian summer, which is very hot and because there is very little rain. So if you look at you know, wheat, for instance, um, the root actually goes a long way down into the soil. So it picks up a moisture that's a long way down. That's why it survives. But because this seed sits on you know, stony soil, it has no ability to penetrate. And so when it gets hot, when it's the middle of the summer, that stuff just dies. Then there's other seed that falls on thorny ground and there's a competition going on between the thorns and between the, the actual uh, weed itself. And eventually the thorns win out and the weed dies. And then finally there's the good soil and the good soil, I mean, this is where the, the seed is planted and it produces a harvest. And I think what the harvest refers to here is a harvest of righteousness. This is an individual who loves God. This is an individual who finds God's commandments to be delightful. This is an individual whose sins are forgiven and who revels in the idea of a relationship with God and boldly enters into the Holy of Holies and knows for certain that they have eternal life. So, you know, there are four different soils that are out there, but, but what does all of this mean? Well, what's interesting is that when Jesus told the parable, there are a lot of people scratching their heads. So the Bible says to us that later on, the disciples got Jesus alone. And they asked him what this parable actually means. And so let me read to you from Matthew 13, beginning at verse 18. Here then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. That is what was sown on the path. So there's the explanation of the first kind of soil. Now, here's a mistake that some of us sometimes make. We, we say to ourselves, oh, I know what this soil is about. This is a person who just rejects the message of Jesus. So they've got a hard heart towards him and they won't listen and they walk away. That's not what Jesus said. You notice that? He explains it this way. He says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it. Uh, there's a lot of people like that, I'm going to argue, that you know, assume they're Christians but don't understand, let's say, the necessity of repentance of sins. Or let's say they don't understand the, what the act of believing actually is or don't know what the message of the cross actually means, how it was that Christ has paid the penalty for our sins so that the anger of God was passed from us onto Christ. He bore the anger of God so that we might be forgiven. And as a result of that, God calls us to take Christ's hand and follow him. See, there are some people that just never get that fully. And because they don't, and yet they think they're in the kingdom, they just kind of, you know, travel along for a period of time. But then, you know, the evil one comes along and he just snatches it away. There's a time when it just doesn't make sense anymore. So that's the first, this is the person that doesn't understand. They, they think they're in the kingdom, but they don't know. So, so then Jesus goes beyond that and he tells us of the second illustration that he's given. It's found in verse 20. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. 
Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So I guess there's one way we can put that is to say, this is the individual who says, you know, I love Jesus. I love the message of the gospel. I love the cross of Jesus. I understand that Christ died for me, but then comes a day when it gets tough to follow Jesus. I mean, there's a cost to be paid. And that cost varies depending upon the person that we're speaking about. I mean, I know individuals who come from a culture and a setting that when they turn to Christ and are baptized, for instance, here's what happens. They actually come to a place where, <laughs> you know, they are called upon to renounce father and mother because mom and dad say, if you follow Jesus, you're out of this house. And it's a price that they're going to have to pay. I know of some people who, you know, the boss has asked them to do something that they say, I just can't do. It's unethical and I just can't follow along with you. My commitment to Christ demands that I say no at this hour and it costs them everything that they have. I know other individuals that, you know, just by sharing the gospel of Christ, they're put into prison. That has happening all over the world. But however the cost is paid, here's what Jesus says with absolute certainty. If anyone comes after him, he or she must pick up his or her cross and follow him. There is a price to be paid for following Jesus. If you follow Jesus, you will suffer in this world. No getting around that. If you haven't been told that, hear it now. Paul said in Philippians 1.29, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer, he says, for his sake. Philippians 1.29, don't believe me, look it up. Bible over and over tells us there's a fiery trial that awaits every single believer. And the fact is that there are some who believe in Jesus, but have never said, I desire Jesus more than life. See, and this is the thing. If you want to know Christ fully and truly, you have to want him more than anything else. He offers us eternal life, but it'll cost us everything. And the question that he asks us is, will you pay the price? We only fool ourselves when we say to ourselves, you know, I can follow Jesus without paying the price. Not so, not so. Jesus said it wasn't so. And in fact, he describes it as seed that falls and ground that is rocky. Eventually, the dry heat of summer is coming, and unless this seed is rooted in the eternal promises of God, it will not survive. When someone loves this life and this world more than Christ, he said, you're not worthy of him. Jesus has been explaining this parable of the sower who went out to sow. Now to make sure that we understand, the sower who sows is Christ himself. Jesus is sowing his word into the world and into the hearts of men and women. You know, when it says that uh, it, it, it comes to the heart, it means it comes to the center of our affections. You know, there's a motivation that causes you to do what you do. I mean, let's say you decide to get married. Or let's say you decide to refrain from marriage. Well, that decision is based upon what your heart loves and what your heart doesn't love. 
Now, you might love a woman, but you might say, that is, if you, you know, you might love a woman, but you might say, yes, but I love my freedom more than I love her. Well, you've simply said that my heart desires something more than you, sweetheart. So that's why you refrain from marriage. So our actions are really a representation of what's down in our hearts. So, so Jesus says that he is going and sowing his seed into the hearts of men and women. But their response to his message varies. Some will not understand. They'll never get it, and so they'll just fall away. Uh, others will get it, but they really aren't willing to pay the price. So then Jesus says there's a third kind of seed, and I'm reading now from verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. Now watch this. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Yeah. Whereas the last kind of an illustration that Jesus gave is the person that says, I don't want to suffer. This person says, I want everything that the world has to offer. There's this, I would call this an inner love of darkness. I mean, there's something that is unacceptable to God that is found in this world, whatever that thing is. And that unacceptable thing continues to attract our hearts. It just is an ember that never has gone out. It continues to burn inside of our hearts. And we just will not allow Christ to extinguish it. We have this ongoing love. So for a period of time, it seems like we're following Jesus. But soon it becomes real to us that there is something we always wanted in this world. You know what I'm saying? Something I always wanted. You know, an individual who bears lust in their heart will say, you know, one of the things I always wanted was numerous sexual partners. And I just want that. And it continues to burn there. And I know that Jesus is saying that all sexual relationships must be restrained to the institution of marriage. He calls sexual uncleanness anything that's any sex outside of heterosexual marriage. That's what Jesus said, and that's what Jesus taught. So, you know, we might, you know, nurture this in our hearts. And, uh, you know, we're just never going to let go of that. Uh, so let me make something very clear here. There's a difference between temptation and there's difference between that and a committed love. See, temptation calls on us to abandon Christ because of something we might immediately have. Now, we might do that, but we might repent as well. On the other hand, there is something called a committed love that's never been surrendered to Christ. That is, it continues to live, and we continue to desire it, and we continue to make it first in our affections. We are saying to Christ, I don't want to put this thing to death. I want to keep loving this thing, and so we nurture this. Now, please understand, from the outset, you know, the, the seed falls on thorny ground. Now, you know, in the ancient world, I mean, thorny ground, I mean, it's not as if the thorns were already standing. What they would do is they would plow the thorns down. But you know that thorns have seeds, and you would never know which part of the ground actually had those thorny seeds until they planted along with, uh, with the wheat. And so the thorns grow up and there's a competition. Can you see this? There's a competition between what Christ wants for you and there's a competition between that and the pleasures of this world. And eventually, because the pleasures of this world have never been surrendered to Christ, the pleasures of this world win. And let me say this, we all know individuals who've done precisely that. Now, please understand, so we've had you know, a hardened 
soil, and then we've had rocky soil, now we've had thorny soil. And, and please don't think that Jesus is saying these are the only three categories that fall away. He's rather saying these are three very significant categories. I mean, there are other reasons as well, but here's the point. When it comes to soil number two, the rocky soil, and soil number three, the thorny soil, I mean, at the outset, the person's faith looks exactly like the person who had the seed planted in good soil. I mean, they love Christ, they attend church, they sing praises to Jesus, they read their Bible, they love to talk about their faith, they do all things, they can even lead an evangelistic meeting. You can do everything, but there's something that's been defective from the very start. Now notice also that in the parable that Jesus tells, he doesn't say that it's impossible ever to change the soil. I mean, you know what, it is possible to tear out thorns. It is possible with a plow to break up hardened soil. It is possible to take the rocks out of the soil. I mean, every farmer will know what rock picking is all about. You get rid of the rocks on the land. But here's what Jesus is saying, that unless the soil falls on the good soil, and let's make sure we understand this, the good soil is the individual who finds in Jesus a treasure chest of holy joy. For the sake of Christ, I would abandon all things. I will renounce my love for all other things, and I will grasp hold of your hand. I will say no to sin, and I will say yes to Christ and say, be my savior, save me from my sins. That's good soil. And the wonderful news about good soil is that Christ has never lost any of those who are truly his own. Now, if today you're saying, well, man, I don't even know whether I've got, you know, that, that eternal life, that ongoing life, the, the stuff that never ceases, you can go to God right now. Uh, you can say to him, Lord Jesus, I have loved other things outside of you, but I know that you are the Son of God, and I know you alone have eternal life. Grant unto me that eternal life, and for the sake of it, kill in me everything that displeases you. Make me yours forever, and I will be wholly thine. Pray like that, and watch God answer your prayer. Well, welcome back to Truth and Life Today with Dr. John Newfeld. John, thanks for the message today. Yeah. Uh, a lot of questions obviously come to mind, and I'm sure for the viewers as well. Uh, one might be, you know, I, I knew a small child that gave their lives to the Lord. Uh, you know, now they're, they're quite a bit older. They're in their 40s or something yeah. like that, and, and perhaps they're not necessarily living the life. Where do they stand? Yeah. See, and I always say to people, please don't say, well, they're really saved, because if you think that, you're not gonna be praying for their salvation and actively seeking God for that. I mean, you're basically sending them eventually into eternity with a false hope. So let's not do that. You know, he who endures to the end will be saved. However, the good news is that that endurance to the end is given to you at the point of salvation. So you know there's a genuine believer when they have an enduring kind of faith. Yeah. Um, so for that person, just pray for them. Ask the Lord to have mercy on them. And uh, God will hear your prayer, so pray for that. You know, I guess there's probably the other person out there too that might be thinking, hmm, I wonder 
if my faith landed or if I, you know, the seed landed on the rocky soil or maybe, maybe, you know, I'm discovering right now that maybe I'm too involved with the world. Maybe my faith has gotten choked out by the weeds. How can I be certain of my walk with Christ? You know, Ben, I think that such a good question. And I think it comes up most often when there is habitual repeated sin in our lives. Okay. See, that's when people really begin to question, am I really saved? And, and really, I think it's supposed to function that way because we're supposed to put to death the misdeeds of the body. And so um, even though it may take for some people years to win a battle, the mark of the redeemed is that they never lie down in sin and simply say, this is normal, and I'm going to simply accept this sin and not fight against it. I mean, if that's your attitude, I'm going to say you're not saved. And it would be true to say that there should be evidence, obviously, there should be progression in our spiritual walk. Absolutely. You know, there is progression because as we grow in the Holy Spirit and we walk in holiness, we find out that we're learning how to trust the promises of God and we're learning how to apply that. That's natural Christian growth. We should be seeing that. We're, we're persevering. Great. So where are we headed next week in this series? Uh, yeah, we're going to talk about one more important parable, and it's the parable of the wheat and the weeds. And uh, it's very similar to this one, and yet it's very different, and it's important to hear this one as well, because I think that parable has a lot to say about what we can encounter when we follow Jesus today. Thanks so much, John. Thanks for your message today. And uh, remember to join us here on Truth and Life Today next week. Mm-hmm.